book of Mark, chapter 8. We are going to hear some very strong directives from Jesus this morning. We're going to hear exactly what he means when he says to follow him. But I want to back up a little bit in the passage in the chapter and kind of give you a context because I don't think he just decided to say these five verses without the first, the, ver- the, the three or four verses before it, kind of giving us the reason why he says it. So I'm going to start at verse 31 and read that first. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, be killed and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You are not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. See, Jesus revealed that he is the Messiah in this passage, previous passage. He revealed it, gave his, his true identity, the Son of Man, the Messiah. I am he, and this is what must happen. I must suffer. I must be rejected. I must be killed, but I will rise again. So he reveals all that to the disciples. And, and then Peter kind of blunders into what Peter blunders into. He tried to rebuke Jesus. He was trying to form his own little militia to protect Jesus. But Jesus corrects him and the disciples, and he tells them what's really important. Not human concerns, but God's concerns. And that's what I'm, we're going to look at. What is God's concerns? And that's what Jesus gives us in this next passage. Jesus defines the concern of God in a clear and direct way. So follow along as I read verses 34 through 38 of chapter 8. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Let's pray. Father, we appreciate this because it speaks directly and it's clear. You are concerned about the souls of humanity. And you make it very clear by Jesus' directives here. So may we take to heart what's written here, put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When Adam and Eve sinned and chose the fruit over God's ways back in Genesis 3, it caused all humans from that point forward to choose their way over God's. It's the nature of the whole human race. We all want to be our own God. Jesus tells us that the atti- that attitude right there does not lead does not lead to eternal life in heaven. Only through Jesus can a soul be saved. So to all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, and even to those who may be seeking to believe or not yet believing, 
This passage speaks. Jesus shows the disciples, he shows us how to really seek what God's concerns are. We get concerned over a lot of things, but God is only concerned about one thing. And Jesus reveals God's concern that it's about salvation of souls. It's about people turning to Christ and following his son. And after they've done that, their level of commitment to that journey. So how does Jesus show God's concerns for souls? Well, I'm glad you asked. Jesus calls anyone to follow him by three acts of relinquishing. Relinquishing, giving it up, surrendering it. First of all, he says, relinquish your selfish life. Verses 34 through 35. Calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. Self-explanatory, if you ask me. I mean, it's pretty easy. There's no, there's no quibbling here. But let me give you some context here. So he's still in Caesarea Philippi. In the backdrop of Caesarea Philippi, and I talked about it last week, was a pagan worship area. That city and all the shrines, I showed you a a picture of the shrines that are now ruins, but he's standing there probably in front of those shrines and he's telling them there's only one God and you have to do these things. And he wants the crowd, so he's not just talking to his 12 disciples, he's called in some of the crowd because there's always... Strap hangers. There's always people hovering around, you know, Jesus, even, even when he's trying to privately talk to his disciples. And here's what he's telling them. Dump all of your Messiah dreams. Get rid of all the dreams that the Messiah is going to be a king who conquers Rome. Get rid of it. Dump it. Or get rid of all your religious ideas, if you're not even of the Jewish faith, about pleasing your gods. Because that's all they're trying to do at these shrines is please a god. And he lays out that God's concerns is for their soul. So if you desire, if you desire, which is another way to to say this, whoever wants to, it could be if you desire to follow after Jesus, to come after him, he gives three steps that must happen to follow him, to trust him, to believe in him. Three steps. Regardless of whether you're already believing or you're seeking to believe, Jesus speaks to both groups to the saved, and to the lost. All humanity must do these if they want to preserve their soul for eternity. First, deny yourself. That seems pretty easy. Not not easy, I should say. Self-explanatory to understand. You must come second, at best. Maybe third, fourth, fifth, sixth, 25th, infinity. I don't know. But you've got to come second or later. Deny yourself Your ideas, your ways, your personal experiences, your personal opinions, your personal preferences, just deny them. Don't let them rule your life. Don't let them become your God. You must reject what you think will make you right with God. You've got to reject it. And there's a lot of ideas out there. Even in the Christian domain, there's a lot of ideas of how you become a Christian or how you get to heaven. And it's it's messed up. It starts with denying yourself, realizing you can't save yourself. You must give up being your own God. Go back to Adam and Eve. You must give up being your own God. Take up your cross. 
Well, we have nice pretty crosses in our building, and we see them on, on we wear them around our necks and stuff, and, but don't kid yourself. In this context, in this time frame, a cross was like carrying around an electric chair. It was like carrying around a noose. It's an execution device. So pick up an execution device and carry it around with you. I'm not telling you to wear electric chairs around your neck or whatever, but surrender your life, the one God gave you, surrender your life to him completely. Die to yourself, take up a cross, take up Jesus, and surrender your life to Jesus. Have an attitude of self-sacrifice. Have an attitude of selflessness that points to God's glory in Jesus Christ. In other words, kill your ways, kill your plans, kill your ideas about salvation, about God, about Jesus, and accept what Jesus is saying here. You've got to follow him, which is the next point. Follow him. See, Jesus leads us through this self-denial, self-sacrifice. He leads us to faith and hope and love because he does love us. And he asks us to trust him totally, to trust him completely. And when you're following someone like he's talking about here, you're not, you're not worried about where you're going. You're not asking for where's the map. You're not looking for a blueprint. You're just following, following the leader. And when you meet tough times and when you face losses, you keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. When you fail, and you will, to keep your eyes on Jesus, when you fail to deny yourself or take up your cross, you will. But when you fail, put your eyes back on Jesus and you reset your life and you reset the start of it. You put your gaze back on him. And all these three things really come down to one point for us. Surrender your own life and all its trappings to the Lord Jesus Christ. Surrender your own life and all your trappings, all your ideas, all the things that you think you need to do and have to be right with God and to live for God. Surrender it all and come to Jesus. Well, why? Why would I do this? Why would I do verse 34? Well, verse 35 gives us the answer. When you try to save your own soul your own way, you lose it. It's gone. Now, y'all will notice if you've been following along, I'm using the word soul and life interchangeably. In the Greek, it's the same word. So some translations will have lose your soul. Some will have lose your life. Jesus knows all of us are going to lose our physical life, so it always impo- it's always pointing to our spiritual life or our spiritual soul. When you try to save your soul your way, it will be lost into eternal punishment. That's what Jesus is saying right here. He's making it very clear. Whenever we lose it, though, and give it away and surrender our souls to the truth of Jesus Christ, wow, and his good news, we gain eternity. We gain eternity when we surrender our life, when we lose it in Jesus, lose it, just enveloped by Jesus and his gospel. Jesus is telling us to give up, to relinquish our self-focused souls, because that's what we're doing. We're always wanting to be our own God. Release, release with that, relinquish that to the fact that only by Jesus' blood and righteousness can we be saved. 
That's what God's concern is. His concern is for your soul. Not what you got here, but what you're going to get up there. That's what he's concerned about. God's concern is for us to stop thinking we can save ourselves. And let him do it, God do it, by grace. By grace. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So some examples of people that, that won't deny themselves. A drowning man, a drowning man, a wounded animal, or a desperate person will not, ex- no, they, they know they need to be saved, but they won't accept the salvation that's being offered them. A lot of times. They know they need to be saved, but they won't accept the help that will come. Deny yourself. Deny your way of being saved. And this, this particular passage and this particular call of Jesus to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him, it's in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. In Matthew 9, 23, he says that if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He even says in Luke, in chapter 14, verse 26 and 27, he says, if anyone would come to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And if he will not take up his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. It's, a, it's, a, it's another whole idea of what this means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus isn't telling you to hate your father and mother or your brothers and sisters or your wife. But he's using a hyperbolic statement there to basically say, you've got to be willing to surrender those things. Missionaries that go overseas, they have to give up a little bit of relationship with their parents and their relatives because they're going to be separated and they're going to be a long way away. They're a lot closer today than they were years ago. But. So deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. What do we think about this? What do we think about this? It's a radical request. It's a very radical request. Being sold out completely for Jesus. It's a radical request compared to society's goals society's goals of getting as much as you can, canning all you get, and then sitting on the can. I mean, that's their idea. That's their idea. Looking for out for number one. That's, that's society's goals. Looking out for number one. Follow your heart. No, follow Jesus. So it's pretty radical. But Jesus is turning the world's idea of living upside down with this. Winning, succeeding, gaining, Living starts by denying and dying and following. If, ever, if you want a full life, do those three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. And don't take Jesus' words as you're trying to earn your salvation because that's not what he's saying. He's not saying you've got to work for it. And it's not self-inflicted. <laughs> don't go out there and cause yourself your own pain thinking you're being a martyr for Jesus. That's not what he's asking either. I mean, he's not telling you, but he is telling you that the self-made man will go to hell, no matter how good he is. But if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, and you claim him as your Lord and Savior, Jesus is informing us right here how our lives should go, how we should live our lives, the level of dedication we have to Jesus Christ. And it comes in different forms. We're all going to be doing it differently, but we're going to be looking at Jesus. There's no shortcuts to these commands. There's no shortcuts. There's no way around it. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. We're called 
to surrender our life. We're called to submit to Christ, to the will of the Father. And Jesus calls us to put God and others ahead of ourselves. It's very hard. It's not something that comes natural to any of us. Not at all. And he also calls us to use our lives in ministry to others, to, to die to our own goals, and to serve others. I mean, this very principle right here works very well in marriage. Deny yourself, both of you. <laughs> don't, be, don't be elbowing anybody, okay? But denying yourself, it's, it's a principle that works in a lot of our life. When we, when we put our agendas and our goals second to God, it's an abundant life. Jesus tells us how to fulfill God's concern for souls, and that is to throw our lives into Jesus, to put ourselves, to lose ourselves into God's plan for saving souls. And we need to have the attitude and the willingness to do this. We need to have the attitude and the willingness to surrender your self-focused plans to God's will for your life, even if it means being a martyr. Martyrdom is not something we necessarily have to seek, but it's something we need to be willing to do. I read stories every day, emails and other places of Christians all over the world today being persecuted, martyred, killed for their faith because they believe in Jesus Christ. That's all. That's their only crime in some countries is that they believe in Jesus Christ. And they're willing to surrender that. They're willing to surrender their life. They're willing to relinquish control of your life and watch God use it to bring eternal life to other souls. This week as I was reading this, I was reminded that I'm, I was supposed to go to India back in March 2020. So I'm going to try to go to India this year again and help Pandu and them train pastors and spiritual leaders over there. So I'm going to deny myself because <laughs> it's much more comfortable being here. And it's a whole lot of more hullabaloo now that COVID's out there. But it's what God wants us to do. So our own ideas of righteousness are wrong. That's what he's telling you. Your idea about how to get right with God is wrong, but also our own ideas of how worthy we are, how, how good we really are. And that's the next thing. Second, relinquish your inflated worth. Look at what he says in verse 36 and 37. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? <sighs> we live in a very healthy, wealthy society. Gain, profit, wealth, money, power, prestige, notoriety, success, achievement in this world will not save your life. No matter how much you've achieved, no matter what you get. No matter how rich you are or how poor you are in this world, it won't save you. And so Jesus is wanting to make that point, and he asked two rhetorical questions here. Two rhetorical questions that he expects you to give a negative answer to. What does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and lose their own soul? Well, there is no benefit to that. There is no benefit. First of all, you can't gain the whole world. Does anybody own the whole world? No, Bill Gates does not, or Elon Musk, or any of those guys. No one owns the whole world, but Jesus' point is, is that even if you did, that would not be adequate for your salvation. And then there's nothing that you can exchange with God for your soul. Nothing. You have nothing. 
you have absolutely nothing. Our souls are worth more than we can give, more than we can find in this life. And Jesus knows that the world's idea of valuable points to riches and to gains and to successes down here. But he also knows that God doesn't use that measure. God doesn't use that. God's not measuring your life about how much money is in your bank or how big a car you drive or how big a house you have or, or even how poor you are. He doesn't measure that either. God's concern for souls starts with the value he places on them. And he thinks they're pretty valuable. You know how valuable he thinks they are? He sent his son for them. See, God's concern starts for souls starts where he created male and female. Male and female, human beings, we are the apex of creation. Don't let, don't let animal planet tell you anything different or any place else. We are the apex. We are the top of the creation that God made. Human life and souls are the supreme aspect of creation in God's eyes. But it even goes further than that. Like I said, when sin came on humans, God planned, he'd already planned, that he was going to save those souls. He was going to save souls of the humans from their sins. And he was going to do it by sending his son to die for them. That's the value that God puts on our souls. And believe me, you can't buy, you can't earn, you can't find that in, in a gold mine or anywhere. You can't craft it by any means you have at your disposal to pay that price. It literally is priceless. We hear that all the time. It's priceless. It's priceless. We throw that around a lot. This literally is the salvation of your soul, the concern that God has. Jesus tells us to lose the idea that our lives are good enough, worthy enough to gain heaven, but that we should trust him only for eternity. I mean, you hear people describe people like he's worth millions or she's a priceless treasure. They just use those, throw those terms around, but, but none of that gains you heaven. As a matter of fact, Paul makes it very clear in Philippians 3. He says, but whatever gain I had, and remember, Paul was a, he was probably a genius. He was a, a great Jewish teacher. He had achieved all the levels. He climbed up the Pharisee ladder to the very pinnacle of it. The only thing he hadn't done was been high priest. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, garbage. I think the real word also can speak of manure. In order that I may gain Christ. Paul realized he had nothing to offer God, and we don't either. If you are truly a follower of Christ, then you know your life was worthless without Jesus. I know we, we, don't, we don't promote that very much these days, and I wouldn't go around telling everybody they're worthless. That's not the point. But the point is our soul is, is not because we won't obey God without help. Our soul is worthless without Jesus. But now, as a follower of Christ, you are a new creation, and you're worth a lot. To God. Without Christ, we are just waiting for eternal damnation. But we must remember, always remember, that Jesus saved us by grace. By grace. Grace. The unmerited favor of God. 
That's what he saved us by. It means we had nothing to do with it. It means we had nothing that made us better, that made us deserving, that made us entitled. Never let yourself think that we are entitled to be saved by Jesus. You aren't. There was somebody said this week on Twitter, I think it was, God must have seen something in me that made it worth saving. No, he didn't. He saw his son Jesus Christ and decided to save you. So admit humbly that you didn't deserve his son. Because we didn't. We didn't deserve his son dying for us. Dying. And, and we, we need to admit that if he had not, we would be eternally damned. We are worthless to God in that state. The Bible tells us that. That as sinners... And not choosing to do right and obey God makes us worthless. But as Paul says in Ephesians, but God. <laughs> but God, who is rich in mercy and grace, reached down to us with his son Jesus Christ and saved our soul. That's what he did. He changed us to follow Jesus. So forget about your bloated worth. You're not worth as much as you think you are, um, and it doesn't earn you anything. Rejoice in the grace that says... God's found me. No matter how worthless I am, he found me. He saved me. He called me to follow him. So Jesus calls you to relinquish your life, and Jesus calls you to relinquish your, your inflated self-worth. And he does that because he knows that if you don't, your pride will condemn you forever. Number three, relinquish your idolatrous pride. Verse 38 Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That's, that's an ominous, ominous warning right there. Jesus is talking about the end of time. And he's also talking more realistic, maybe the end of your life. Jesus puts his finger on the real reason right here. We choose our concerns over God's pride. The wanting to do it our way, wanting to have things our way. Pride is the source for all of our rebellion. You know, anything we do that's sinful against God is a result of pride. And Jesus is now singling it out in how we react to him. Because one day, someday, Jesus will come back. Jesus will come back. No matter what the world says, and he will come back to receive his church and his church is the believers and when that comes the judgment of all souls will commence the souls will be judged those who believed and those who didn't and if you're ashamed of jesus if you're ashamed of his gospel in this despicable world jesus will be ashamed of you in eternity he won't claim you as a matter of fact, as he tells us, tells us in Matthew 7, depart from me, I never knew you. That will be a sad day for many who believe that they know Jesus, but they've been ashamed of him. And so Jesus also uses here two distinct words to describe the world we live in, adulterous and sinful. Because he sees our pride as adultery and sinful. Adultery, what is that? It, well, it's a betrayal action, really. 
Most of the time it's got a sexual in, insinuation or port, part to it, but it's really rejecting true love for false lust. That's really what adultery is. It's rejecting true love, true commitment for false lust. And then being sinful is the pride that puts yourself, your desires, your worth above the love of God in Jesus Christ. You're just choosing to be your own God. That's what sin is. And when Jesus returns in the clouds with God's angels, it'll be too late to decide then. It'll be too late for you to choose him. Jesus is using a, a reference to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. The reference is about the Son of Man coming on the clouds. And Daniel sees that vision and writes it down. Well, this is the same vision that Caiaphas uses to condemn Jesus to the cross. But it's also the same passage that the angel uses when, they ascend back, when Jesus ascends back into heaven in the same way. So the clouds, this is, this is clearly speaking about the return of Jesus Christ. And when he comes back, he's going to judge the world. So our pride, our self-promotion, our arrogance that you know better than God will result in an eternity in hell if you are ashamed of him. Jesus wants us to know that we must not be ashamed of him. We must, we must lose the pride and cherish Cherish the Savior. Remember the story of the tortoise and the hare? The race? The tortoise, the hare was bragging about how fast he was. And he challenged the tortoise to a race. It's like pick on somebody your own size. But he got so arrogant. He got so confident that he could win with his feet tied behind his back even. The tortoise won the race. Pride cost that rabbit the race. Pride cost Samson his strength. Pride destroys. And God's warned us many times in Scripture. Proverbs 16, 18 is one place. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Being prideful, being ashamed of needing Jesus and not ashamed of your own lacking but Paul counters it with this in Romans 1.16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of it. It is the power of God. God's concern for souls is always, always, always an eternal proposition. He doesn't want to get you saved down here so you have a better life down here. It, it, it will result in that. There's blessings to be had in Christ Jesus in this life. But that's not the real reason. The real reason is the eternal aspect of it. Look to Christ and be saved, or you can look to yourself and be condemned, be damned. It's up to you. But this morning and always, Jesus earnestly calls us, he earnestly calls us to lose our pride, admit our sins, and trust in him to forgive us. That's, that's what he wants, to lose our pride, to admit we are sinners, we're worthless. We're try, we've tried to be our own God and trust in him to forgive us. That's why he sent Jesus, so he could forgive us. See, souls changed by Christ and the Holy Spirit, they cannot be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Souls that have been changed, truly saved, 
truly redeemed by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, they can't be ashamed of Jesus and his gospel. So if you are, check your faith. Check your conversion. I'd love to chat with you if you're struggling with that. I want to help you understand that. If you refuse to tell others of Jesus, if you, if you hide when someone brings Jesus up, if, you, if you're dodging questions about your conversion experience, I'd ask you to seek Christ. Seek to know it for a fact in your heart. Don't let your pride or your refusal to submit or your rejection of God's concern for your soul send you to hell and everlasting condemnation and punishment. I ask you, don't leave today without confirming and affirming your faith in Jesus Christ for your soul's salvation. It is God's chief concern, and Jesus spells it out. He says it this way because he, that's how important it is. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It's that important to God. I mean, Jesus here, in summary, he's laying out one of the major differences in Christianity versus other religions. Giving up our concerns for God's concerns. Not trying to please God by our own efforts, but accepting the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So let's be honest here. You've probably, some of you probably read these verses many times. I have, I have Luke 9.23 memorized. I, I hear it in my head all the time. We've read these verses. We've seen them. Do you really believe them? Do you really believe them? Have you acted on them? Have you put them into practice? Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow and lose your life to Jesus. Give up the world for your soul. Do not be ashamed of Jesus. I hope we haven't watered them down. Sometimes we, when we hear hard rules like this, we try to find loopholes. We try to say, well, but what he really meant was we've treated them like good ideas and not commands. But, and I know that we have. We've tried to explain them away, what Jesus really meant. I love it when people say that because it's like, mm, let's be careful. I think Jesus is pretty clear here. He didn't use a parable. He didn't use metaphors. He didn't use any kind of allegory, poetry, nothing else. He said it plain and straight. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Now, you may ask this morning, how much denial is enough? Or how much dying to myself is enough? Or how much giving does Jesus want me to give? Well, I would encourage you this morning to remember, you're not trying to earn your salvation. You can never do that. You can never do these things enough to earn your own salvation. That is always Jesus' job. Grace, beautiful grace. But Jesus calls us to love him. He calls us to follow him. To, to these extremes, they sound very extreme, radical. I used the word a while ago. But he calls us to do this. When he dictates... Not our own made-up martyrdom. Not our own made-up sacrifices. When he calls us to do these things, when he dictates it in our life, and of course there's a lot of areas in our life every day, when he gives us the opportunity, we need to be willing to step into it. Deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. 
See, Jesus didn't give any caveats to this. He's got no exceptions. You can't turn to another book in the Bible and find a caveat or an exception or a different interpretation. He meant it like he wrote it. And there are not two levels of Christians. This, this false teaching was back in the 70s and 80s and sometimes in the 90s. Was There's the Christian who's saved and then there's the Christian who's the disciple. No, we're all called to be disciples. We may be at different journeys part or places in our journey, but there are not two levels of Christians. There's only one. And we're all called to this. And you work on it. It's, it's, a, it's sanctification on parade. We live unashamed of the gospel. We relinquish our life. We relinquish our worth. We relinquish our pride and, and experience the abundant life that Jesus offers. So let's take some time now to pray over these things. In our pastoral prayer time, let's take some time to just seek God's face and and ask him to help us. Help us understand what it means to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. So let's pray silently, and then I'll close this out in a few.